Welcome to Toronto Today. Mark Zucchino in for you on this Monday. Happy start of the work week. Kids almost back to school. Was that the exhibition on the weekend? Boy, I remember that as a better place as a child. What a horrible experience. Filth, lineups. I guess if you're into that, I don't know. Plus, I can't eat anything. I look at food, I gain weights. So of course, I watch my wife rip through the food pavilions at 102 pounds soaking wet. Killing ice cream, waffle cones, funnel cakes. Why I drank water and tried to get an extra thousand steps in. What a wonderful weekend. Oh boy, I hate to start Monday this way. The good news about this Monday is we've got a good show for you here on Toronto today. Lots to get to. Obviously, if you're familiar with myself, I'm the host of Golf Talk Canada TV and radio here on TSN, as well as part of the PGA Tour radio play-by-play team. So we will talk a little golf today because the FedEx Cup kicks off this week and there were some Canadians that went hard and fought their way into the FedEx Cup and some other Canadians that are going to have to make their way to the Web.com Tour Finals to find their way back to the PGA Tour. But you got to give a shout-out right off the bat to Nick Taylor, who came into the week at 128 on the FedEx Cup points list, trying to get in at 125. And on Sunday, with his back against the wall, had a brilliant final round. Ran through the finish line, and he'll join Adam Hadwin now as the two Canadians that already have their status locked up for next year and are already in the FedEx Cup uh, FedEx Cup playoffs starting this week in New Jersey. I'll be heading down there to do play-by-play on Wednesday, so I'm looking forward to that. But we're going to talk a lot of hockey today. We spoke a lot of football on Friday. I was football excited. I still am. But we're going to talk some Leaf hockey, some NHL hockey this week. Craig Button going to join us, TSN Hockey Analyst, Director of Scouting for TSN. He'll be with us shortly, so going to jump into all things hockey with Craig. Kevin Sylvester from my PGA Tour radio team and the Buffalo Sports page, he'll be by to tee up the FedEx Cup playoffs. As well as maybe, you know, he's from Buffalo, Buffalo Sports page. So maybe we'll also talk a little QB action now with AJ going down with an injury in Buffalo for the Bills. Does this mean that Josh Allen is the starter week one? We'll throw that at Kevin. And Jim Taddy, host of Maple Leaf Hockey and the Drive Home Show on TSN 1150. He'll join us in Hour 2 to talk all things Maple Leaf. Jim, also a huge golf fan, so we might throw a few golf things at Jim as well. But dive deep into the Maple Leafs situation as we are very close to getting it going. So we have a poll question for you this week. And we're certainly going to ask our, our guests, our hockey guests this week, this question as well. And I'm absolutely shocked at some of the response we're getting on Twitter. At TSN 1050 Radio, at TSN 1050 Radio, the poll question was this, and this is based on Eric Lindros' comments from last week. He was speaking at a concussion information seminar and speaking about the future of sports and and, and, and education with concussions, and obviously this has hit home on all contact sports, especially NFL, but also hockey. And Eric Lindros suggested that maybe... Maybe it is time to ban contact in hockey. Maybe it starts at the minor hockey league level and eventually gets to the NHL level to completely remove contact from hockey. Now, I got to tell you, I got to be honest with you, I'm 100% fine with this. I don't need contact to love hockey. I need fast skating, going hard, 
goals, excitement. I like skill. I've always loved hockey for the skill side of things. So our Twitter poll question is basically this. Do you need body contact to love hockey the same way you need contact to love football? You need it in football. It's basically in the fabric of the sport. Football is not football without contact. Does the same apply to hockey? Now, we thought that we would get a landslide, yes, we need need contact. It would be a slam dunk. There would be no controversy here. Nothing to discuss. But so far... I'm getting hit up on uh, Twitter here, and I'm hearing a few different opinions. I'm hearing people say, no, I don't need it. I watch for the goals in the passing. I'm hearing we need to educate our minor hockey league players better. We don't just give them a two-day clinic and then throw them into contact, which a lot of leagues do right now. And maybe that's part of the problem, is that it's a safety factor in learning how to hit properly. Now, that's all you know, fine and dandy. But you know as well as I do, when you get in the heat of battle, the guys playing for millions of dollars and playing for the Stanley Cup, that you know those things change. So I'm interested to hear your opinion on this. So hit us up. It's at TSN 1050 Radio. Do you need body contact to love hockey the same way you need it in NFL football? And we'll certainly start there with uh, Craig Button in moments when uh, he joins us here on Toronto Today. We're also going to do a special edition of Winners Weird and What Today. Now, if you're not familiar with Winners Weird and What, it's something we do every Saturday morning on Golf Talk Canada. It's our version of the good, the bad, and the ugly from the week in golf. But we're going to give it to you for the week of sports with uh, producer Joe Narsa going to jump on for Winners Weird and What later on in the show. He's also... Going to give us an update on his weekend. Because on Friday, I teased you that the big story in the world of sports this weekend was that Joe was playing in his first ever club championship at Caring Place Golf Club. So Joe's going to give us a blow-by-blow of those rounds in his words when we get to Winners Weird and What today in Hour 2 of Toronto Today. Happy to be joined now, though, by uh, one of the best in the business, TSN uh, Senior Hockey Analyst, uh, Director of Scouting, Resident Scout and GM here at TSN TV and Radio, Craig Button joining me now. Craig, thanks so much for taking the time to do this on a, on a Monday. As I guess we kick off the work week here on TSN Toronto today. Yeah, we do. We do kick off a work week, uh, you know, but uh, things are good. Hope the same for you, Mark. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I didn't get the golf clubs out as much as I like this weekend, Craig, but you know what? That's besides the point. It's still work time for me. I'll get them out in the fall and uh, feel a lot happier about that. I want to start with you uh, with something that just concluded uh, recently, the Holenka gretzky Cup, because I was reading one of your articles and watching one of your videos And you suggested that there might be a couple of players that came from Team Canada on that under-18 championship-winning team that might actually find their way to the World Juniors this year because of the the offensive punch that they bring to the table. I love the World Juniors. I look forward to it every year. It's like it's on the calendar. It's it's maybe my favorite hockey to watch in the year. What are the odds of seeing some of these under-18s maybe actually make it to the squad? Well, I mean, I'll start. I mean, the two players are Alexi Lafreniere and Dylan Cousins. And uh, I'll start with Alexi Lafreniere. I mean, he, he was a dominant player in the tournament. He, as the tournament got more challenging and into the semifinal and the gold medal game, I mean, he, he, he was the best player. And he's shown that continuously throughout his career. 
He played last year at the under-18, or this previous April, I should say, at the under-18 championships in Russia. He was arguably one of the very best players in the tournament. Uh, you know, his 42 goals as a 16-year-old rookie in the Quebec League. Uh, he's the first 16-year-old rookie to do that since Sidney Crosby did it in 03-04. So you kind of start to put him in a different category of player. And he, he's not hes not intimidated by the spotlight. Uh, we know it's a 19-year-old tournament. I don't think there's any question about the World Junior being held in that regard. But to me, Alexis Lafreniere is... So forget about him being 17. Forget about all that. He, he to me, is one of Canada's very best goals. And so on that alone, uh, I'll be uh, I'll be surprised. Uh, I'll be shocked if he's not invited to the camp because he's that good. And then, and then it's up to him to, to make the selection cap. Dylan Cousins is a little bit different. Uh, I, I think he is as a depth that Canada has up the middle of the ice. And, and on the wing, it might on the right wing, it might be a little bit more difficult for him. But... When you watch what he did last year as a 16-year-old rookie, and then into the playoffs, I mean, he was a as a 16-year-old, he was a real catalyst for the Lethbridge Hurricanes. And then he goes to the uh, Halenka Desky, and, and and again he shows how how good he is. Now he's going to have to show well in the Canada Russia series and really play at the same level that he did at the conclusion of last year's season in the WHL. But I certainly believe that he has an opportunity uh, to, to be, you know, and we know Canada brings a smaller group of players, 28, 29, maybe 30 players to the camp in December. But I think he, he, he has an opportunity to show that he might be ready to, to, to earn a spot on that team. Now, how rare is this, Craig? How rare is it that, that the World Junior team would, would even consider a couple of underagers? And is it also a reflection on maybe the depth of that current year or that current roster? Because, you know, there are some years where, you know, Team Canada is the favorite, the dominating force, and there's other years where maybe some of our best players aren't even available to us. So uh, how often do we even see this? Well, it, it's rare. And again, it's rare because it's a 19-year-old tournament. But we saw it with Aaron Ekblad. We saw it with uh, Jonathan Drouin and Nathan McKinnon, two players that both participated uh, in the same year. And, and, and one of the biggest things is that Hockey Canada is going to look at a lot of different angles and a lot of different avenues to support a player's candidacy for this team. And, you know, how you've played in previous tournaments. Are you able to handle the rigors? And, uh, you know, it's one thing to talk about NHL prospects and to talk about potential down the road. This is about a tournament that's about what players give Canada the best chance to compete for a gold medal for 10 days. That's all it's about. It's not about who the best player is going to be in the NHL or who's going to be the first overall pick or anything like that. But I think both those players have shown that they can handle it. Now, they're going to have to continue to show. Uh, I think Lafreniere is just, uh, like, I really believe he's one of Canada's very best players. Is that about anything else? And, but he's going to have to continue to show that. Dylan has a little bit more of a steeper hill to climb. And, uh, you know, that, but that's okay. Even just being in the discussion, I think, speaks volumes about him. But, you know, and, you know, one of the things that we found, Mark, too, now with the World Junior Tournament, it used to be Canada was without uh, a number of its best players. This is affecting all countries now. Every country comes into this tournament now missing uh, one, two, three players that uh, very well could give them a, a, a little bit better skill level, a little bit more depth. And I, I think that speaks to the quality of a player being produced and developed by other countries. And it also speaks to how tight the tournament is. And I think that that's what we've seen with the, 
with a number of different uh, gold medal winners over the last, uh, you know, nine, eight, nine years. And, you know, we've we got five different countries that have won the gold medal. So it's a pretty close competition. Yeah, I, I, you know, I never even thought of it that way, and that's quite interesting because that was, you know, maybe a crutch that Team Canada pointed to uh, throughout the years, time and time again, when maybe things didn't shake down the way they want. Now, almost every country, as you as you mentioned, can point to that same crutch and say, "Hold on, we're missing a few bodies here as well." Um, switching gears a little bit, I guess, to the opposite end of the spectrum, Craig, from kids that are starting their career and getting ready to you know potentially enter the, the the pros in a few years from now nicholas cromwell has suggested this might be his last season and um is that confirmed do we know for sure that this is going to be his last go around and where do you think he falls in the history because there's a deep history there of all-time greats and uh what you know in terms of what he meant to this franchise where is he on the ladder well, you know, I guess to, to, to the first question, I don't know. I think that the players want to play as long as they feel that they can, in, in a lot of cases, because they love doing that. You know, it's something that they've done very well for a long period of time. But, you know, as Jerome McGinley told me uh, at his uh, retirement celebration uh, here in, uh, just recently, he, he said that, yeah, when I was two years ago, I felt that, like, yeah, I'm going to play. I'm going to keep playing. And he said he never could uh, really understand why players, you know, are, are going to retire. But he said, then my, then my body stopped responding in certain areas and became more of a challenge. And it wasn't that I didn't want to play anymore. It's just my body wasn't going to allow me to play anymore. So I think, you know, you look at Nick, Nicholas Cronwall and you look at how hard he's played and how competitive he is. And then you look at some of the injuries. And at some point in time, uh, you know, it, 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 all, it all converges where, you know, you as a competitor understand – geez, I can't play at the same level anymore because I just can't. Even though I have the will and the desire, I just can't because I'm not physically capable of playing at that same level. And that forces players out. Listen, I don't think Nicholas Cronwell will ever be confused with a great player, but he was a key player. He was an important player on teams that were very successful because he added elements to the team that were that were essential to winning and essential to success. And, you know, though. Teams and successful teams are made up of all different types of players, and you know when you get when you get players contributing to the maximum uh, to their maximum potential and their maximum abilities, that's when you get a team that is you know where, where you can easily say the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And and, and I think Nicholas was was a, was a very good player that could move the puck along. He had a physical presence. He was a competitor. He was a good defender, and you know. You think about the Detroit Red Wings, and you think about Swedish defensemen. I mean, there's been there's been defensemen that were better than him. There's defensemen that are Hall of Famers, and and certainly uh, were recognized as such. But I think if you ask players that played with Nicholas Cronwell uh, and played against them, you knew you were in for a really hard night when you were playing against Nicholas Cronwell because he was bringing everything he had to the game to help his team win. And you don't have the success and the longevity of Nicholas Cronwell unless you have those elements. So I think he'll be recognized as a, as a real important player for those Red Wings teams uh, long, long into the future. We're with Craig Button, TSN Hockey Analyst and Resident Scout and GM. You follow him on Twitter at Craig J. Button. That's at Craig J. Button. Uh, Craig, I was in Scotland in July on a golf vacation, and my phone lit up, and it was from people who I work with throughout the U.S. on the PGA Tour radio team that are marginal hockey fans that found out that the Tavares signing went through. 
and people were just giving me like, you know messages from everywhere you would not expect hockey messages to come from, saying congratulations, the Cup's coming to Toronto, all these just great excitement. Obviously, we were very pumped. But are we overestimating how good Toronto is from a Leaf fan perspective heading into this season? Are they even the favorite in the division, or is Tampa Bay still the best team? Here's what I would say to Mark. You have to become a a, a very good team before you can become a championship team or even start considering yourself as a contender to be a champion. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs have clearly put themselves in that category. But every year, I think there's five or six teams that are in the same position as the Toronto Maple Leafs. And what you have to do is is you have to, you know, know, play and, and you have to play well and you have to hone the different parts of your game. Then you need a certain measure of good fortune, and that's just that's just part and parcel of it. So you think about the Washington Capitals, who won the President's Trophy two years consecutively before uh, this year, and you know they lose in the second round two years to the eventual Stanley Cup champions, and now oh, it's disappointment, and now the windows closed. They were still a very good team. It was just it was different in some ways, but they were able to compete, and they were able to put up 100 points again, and, and good teams put up 100 points, not marginal teams, not near teams, good teams and teams that are capable. So I think that's the first step for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I think they're there. But to start saying one team is clearly a Stanley Cup favorite over another, when it, when you got Boston and you got the Tampa Bay Lightning and, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins are still a good team. Then you look at Winnipeg and you look at Nashville, I, I put Toronto in that category. But yeah, and, and John Tavares puts them... Uh, in, into a spot with a really good elite player. So when you, when you have those elements, now you can now you can continue to push and try to strive to be a championship team. Listen, Mark, I think it's really important to be in the contest and to be in contention. And if you win one or you win two or you win three, or what, what you need to do is just be in contention. The Toronto Maple Leafs are in contention for the Stanley Cup, and I think they're going to be there for a number of years to come, but they're not the only team. Uh, Craig, uh, just before we let you go, I don't know if you had a chance to hear uh, Eric Lindros' comments from last week. He was speaking at a seminar about educations, about concussions and, and contact in sports and the future and how that unfolds. And he suggested that people could love hockey and that maybe hockey doesn't need contact. Maybe it starts at the minor hockey league level and eventually there's no contact in the NHL. We went out on Twitter today and asked our audience, do you need body contact to love NHL hockey the way you need body contact to weigh to love NFL football? Is, is it in the fabric as such where you just can't live without it? I'm curious as to your opinion on this, who has you know, been in the league at an executive level, has seen all different levels of competitive hockey. Could you see a day where you could go into the future and there is no physical contact in hockey and it still be the same sport? Or is this a non-starter to begin with? Well, number one, it's not a non-starter for me. I, uh, like, uh, I, I'm, listen, we have science that, that is continuing to evolve about uh, the dangers of head contact and you know where are players ready to, to handle you know body contact in, in, in the game. So I, for one, have been a proponent of zero contact with the head, accidental or anything, zero tolerance. It's automatically a penalty, and it's, and it's automatically a game misconduct. Uh, and I don't care about accidental or whatnot. I just think you got to slow the game down. So on that regard, I, like, I fully support that. In the IIHF, they are introducing rules this year for late hits. And we've had this 
context, there's the, the, the context of finishing your check in the game. Oh, finish your check, finish your check. So you, it's a half a second or three quarters of a second. One constitutes a late hit. Well, now they're saying, unless you're engaging with the player to try to separate them from the puck simultaneously with the body contact, it will be considered a late hit and you will be penalized for it. I'm in full, I, I'm in full support of that because I think this whole idea of finishing your check has evolved to a point where it's become dangerous and it's created unnecessary injuries. And I think it has to change. So to Eric's point about that, and I think that the way the game is played now since 2005 when the 0405 lockout ended, we're seeing a lot less body contact, but we're seeing more speed. We still see collisions. And so I I think we're seeing a natural evolution, but I like what the IIHF is doing. You talk to players in the 70s, Mark, and, and, and they talk about the, this whole idea of finishing your check. They're like, where did this come from? And it came to, you know, more vigorous back checking and, you know, players trying to play a different role. But guys, and I'm talking Hall of Fame players in the 70s, though, finishing your check, it was never around. So this idea that it's old school, it never was old school. Just go watch the game. And I know there's reasons for it, but at that point, I'm in full favor. Just finishing your check stuff. If you don't have the puck, you know, you know, it'll be hit. I think it should be eliminated. Now, the other part of this, too, is I think if you're playing recreational hockey and you're not playing high-level hockey at, at young ages, there should be no body contact. End of story. There should be no hitting. It should be recreational. It should be for fun. And you shouldn't put kids at risk. Because what you want to do is just have kids, the vast majority of kids, you want them to have a lifelong joy of playing hockey and participating in a sport. You don't want them to be dropping out because of the risk of injury. And I think that we have to really take a serious look at eliminating all body contact for non-competitive and whatever that is, we got to look at that hard because the science speaks, and I think the participation rates particip- participation rates speak as well. Craig, thanks so much for taking the time to do this on a Monday. Really appreciate it. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on all of that. It's going to be interesting to see if this naturally progresses the way that you've suggested and it continues to go this way and finds its way into the NHL. I sure hope so. So have a great week, Craig. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Craig Button, uh, TSN hockey analyst, scout, and GM at Craig J. Button, at Craig J. Button. We're going to take our first break on the other side. We'll let you know what our Twitter audience feels about this topic. We'll also get you caught up on last week's poll regarding Tiger Woods and how many wins he may or may not get between now and next year's Masters. This is Toronto Today. Welcome back, Toronto Today. I'm going to try not to talk about my disappointment in SummerSlam last night. Maybe save that to the very end. Jim Taddy going to join us in an hour or two. He absolutely cannot stand professional wrestling. He used to get a kick out of my passion with it. So maybe we'll bug Jim Taddy about SummerSlam just so he can take a shot at me. That's an hour or two. We'll do a special edition of Winners Weird and What as well in hour two. A non-golf edition. I slide some golf in there with producer Joe Narsa. Now speaking of producer Joe, uh, Twitter poll. Do you need... Body contact to love the NHL the same way you need body contact to love the NFL. So far, Joe, I'm surprised at some of the comments I'm getting on Twitter of people suggesting that they don't need it, that they're in it for the skill, they're in it for the speed, the goals. I thought we'd get a backlash, but what are the numbers saying, boss? So the poll is saying that, yes, they need body contact, but then the comments are saying no, so I'm a little <laughs> confused, but 74% say yes, they need body contact. Mm-hmm. It's part of the game. 26% are saying no, hockey's hockey. 
And I tend to believe that the listeners are on the side of yes, even though the comments, the five or six of them, have a lot of logic to them. But I always use the example that professional women's hockey is fantastic hockey. Yes, it is. And there's one caveat that stops, I believe, the layman's fan from going to go watch a CWHL game in Toronto or watching a women's expo or CIS game. It's that you have the cop-out while they can't hit, so it's, it's different hockey. And I've spoken to multiple professional women that play in the league, played for Team Canada, and they say all the time, yeah, we'd love to hit. Why don't we hit? Like, we want to play the same game that the men play because it's hockey. And I think a part of the game's legacy and a part of what makes it almost culturally Canada sport is that little bit of physicality that basically draws that line. It allows you to police yourself, and it's something hockey fans have always loved. So I think that fans really do want contact to stay in the game, and I do think it's a reason why, and it's actually one of the biggest re- uh, one of the biggest reasons why you see a separation in men's and women's hockey because you have that ability to say, well, it's not the same game. I thought, and from what I'm getting from our Twitter poll numbers, from the comments and then the percentages of where it's going, I'm thinking that maybe they see this thing kind of right down the line of what uh, Craig Button uh, suggested, who just who just joined us in the previous segment, if you're just tuning in right now, is that... You know, they want contact, but they want contact with respect. And that is the fine line. And can you have both? Because in recent years, you know, maybe when they weren't wearing helmets and they weren't wearing masks, there was contact with respect. But it seems as the game has grown and gotten faster and collisions have gotten more violent, collision and contact with respect has been the challenge. So, you know, Craig was suggesting zero tolerance, whether accidental or not, to the head. I think everybody agrees with that. Zero contact if you're not on the puck, away from the puck. That having contact amongst the players if you're not actually the puck carrier. Uh, a zero policy there. I think things like that, I, I think people would all agree on. And I think that's why we're getting... You know, 74% saying, yes, we need contact, but then the comments come in and afterwards. I think people want it to get back to a level of normality and, and, and sanity and some respect amongst players that we just don't see. The one thing I will say is when it comes to the contact issue, everybody's always focused on the hits being thrown. And I understand that the game has gotten more physical, I think, because of speed. I don't think it's gotten more physical because people are more violent. When you watch the 70s and the 80s, there were more violent hits, but they were very few and far between. Nowadays, suspensions have gone down, significant injuries have gone down when it comes to like body contact. But one example I use is everybody's taught how to wear a seatbelt. So it's not your fault if you get hurt while wearing it, but it's something that you know that you have to do. It's a safety precaution. I don't believe a lot of coaches and coaches that I've spoken to learning how to take a hit and understand how to keep your presence on the ice so that you don't put yourself in a vulnerable position. Not that it's the victim's fault when he gets hurt and he gets hit, but the player needs to understand how to be as precautious as possible to stay safe. 
And that's something I think that's missing in the game as well. And a lot of our Twitter audience suggested that education is the key, and that's where you're going with that, and education at a young level. So hit us up on Twitter. The poll is there, at TSN. 1050 Radio on Twitter and let us know your thoughts on contacting the game at the minor level and into the professional level and do you need it to love hockey the way you love football. On the other side, we will switch gears. FedEx Cup starts this week. My colleague from the PGA Tour Radio Play-By-Play team joins us next from the Buffalo Sports page, Kevin Sylvester. This is Toronto Today. Welcome back Toronto Today. Mark Zucchino with you. Here to 1 p.m. Eastern. Going to talk some more hockey. Going to get to a special edition of Winners Weird and What Toronto Today style. But I want to switch some gears now and talk a little golf because the FedEx Cup playoffs have come right around the corner. Actually, they're here. The regular season come to an end this weekend with a 59 from Brent Snedeker. Canadian golf fans excited because Nick Taylor with a late push has made it to the 125. I'll be on my way to Ridgewood Country Club in New Jersey for the kickoff of the playoffs this week to the Northern Trust Open. And my next guest is a colleague of mine on PGA Tour Radio, also the host of Tee to Green Golf on WGR 550, which you can hear before Golf Talk Canada on Saturday mornings. And also from the Buffalo Sports page, maybe the busiest man in Buffalo, actually, now that I introduce him, my good buddy Kevin Sylvester. Kev, how's it going this morning, bro? Good, Mark. I try to purport myself as being the busiest man in Buffalo, but nobody believes me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just send them my way, buddy. Listen, before yeah. before we get into the playoffs, I want to fire you my poll question from Friday here on Toronto Today. And I asked our Twitter audience, between now and Augusta National, if you include all professional tours, including a Hero World Challenge even, between now and Augusta National next year, Tiger Woods will win how many golf tournaments? Here was your choices. One event, two or more, or none. Our Twitter audience, 43% said none, 41% said one, and an astounding, astonishing 16% said none, which caught me off guard. Where you? Where do you fall on this? Well, I think one. I think, I think he's close. I mean, first of all, there is nobody mentally tougher than Tiger Woods, and I could argue in any sport to do. I mean, you, you, Mark, you know, guys with back problems, you know, we both had back problems playing golf. Not as severe as Tiger, but to even have the will to come back and give it a go when, what does he have to prove, right? I mean, he's won everything. So to do that, always have mentally to just come back is incredible and to compete when he doesn't have his A game which he clearly did not have the PGA Championship, and he almost won. So to say he's not going to win between now and Augusta, nah, I think he's going to figure it out, and I think he'll pull home at least one victory. Yeah, I'm with you, at least one, and probably a crack at a couple, and whether you know whether they come down the stretch and gets it, get it done, you know, such a fine line between playing well and winning, but I can't see uh, him not getting one victory between now and the Masters. The FedEx Cup is here. It went out with the bang, Kev, 59 from Sneds, and it might have been the quietest 59, or have we just become like complacent with 59? These guys go so low all the time. But the one thing that I love about this is he gutted it out and found a way to win. Because how often do you and I see 59s or guys threaten 59 with 60, 61, 62, and they walk away? 
is, you know, with a T5 or an eighth place finish, Sneds goes 67, 68, 65 on Sunday, a marathon Sunday after the 59, and actually grabs the W. And to me, that's huge for him going wire to wire. Yeah, it certainly was. And you're right. I mean, you know, we see a 59 seemingly every year now on the PGA Tour. It's a testament to just how good and deep the players are and how aware they are, right? They know they want to hit that number. You know, they want to reach history like everybody else. And for Snedeker in particular, because, you know, I was um, writing my column this morning for buffalosportspage.com, and I was looking at Snedeker's career and Matt Kuchar, right? Well, like what that win meant for Brent Snedeker. And I think a lot of people regard Matt Kuchar as the best player without a major victory right now. I think you could say that about Brent Snedeker. He got nine victories. He won a FedEx Cup. He's come close to the Masters a few times. Uh, you know, tied for third is his best finish there. And I think that win vaults him ahead of Matt Kuchar career-wise. Huge win for Brant Snedeker, especially coming off nearly six months missed with injury last year. So it was great to see him finish. The guy is, I don't want to say underrated, Mark, but maybe underappreciated what he's done in his career. And, you know, I tend to agree with you there. And, and, you know, obviously Ricky Fowler is the other name we would go to. And and Ricky may be a bit of a different case. A similar career in terms of wins. You know, uh, eight professional wins. One of those is on the, well, four PGA Tour wins. He's got a couple of European Tour wins and then a couple of wins kind of spread out all over the place. So so not as many victories as Kuchar and Seneca, but so many top fives in majors. But when you just put the numbers on the board of what they've won, and the, you know how how valuable those tournaments were. How many times they've knocked on the door? You could make an argument that Snedder Snedeker it holds that title over Fowler and over Kuchar for best in the world without a major. Kevin, could you are you still with us there? I lost you for a second there. Oh, we've lost Kevin Sylvester. All right, we'll try to get him back. I thought for a second there, you know, I, I went, geez, that was an open-ended question. He really took it as an open-ended question. <laughs> he just left it in wilderness. We'll see if we can get Kevin back on the line. Uh, I know where Kevin's going with that one. I know where he's going. He's suggesting that, you know, if you compare, everybody wants to go to Ricky Fowler, and everybody wants to go to Matt Kuchar as best player in the world without a major. But when you put the numbers on the board, Snedeker's numbers and the value of the tournaments he's won, they've been high-profile events, come knocking on the door many times, played international golf for U.S. Ryder Cup team, President's Cup team. Snedeker's career is as good as Matt Kuchar's, yet he doesn't seem to get the love, doesn't seem to get uh, the stroke when you you get that backhanded compliment. And that backhanded compliment is always best player in the world, Without a major victory, and you know, Rick, and so many guys hold that title for so long. The good news for Ricky, he's still young. Ricky Fowler still very young, has a, a you know father time still on his side, and has a chance to get it done. The longer you go in the thirties, the odds of you ripping that monkey off your back are not very good. You know, Sergio Garcia did it in twenty seventeen with the Masters. He finally got the monkey off his back, but. The further you go, the later you go in the career, the odds are against you. Lee Westwood, Luke Donald, Colin Montgomery. Uh, you know, these players were at one point possibly the best players in the world, some of them to reach number one, and never got that monkey off their back. 
So I know where Kevin's going with that one. If you look at Sned's career, you could say the argument against Kucher and against Fowler that his record's as good or better, and maybe he's the best in the world without a major. Kev, are you with us? Do we have you back? Well, I didn't like your comments. So That's I right. Know. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, I thought you dropped in for a mighty taco, an early lunch down there in Buffalo, a little mighty taco. Kev, uh, FedEx Cup is around the corner. We're with Kevin Sylvester from the PGA Tour radio team, Buffalo Sports Page. You can catch all things Kev, uh, Kevin Sylvester, buffalosportspage.com, and at Kev Sylvester on Twitter. That's at Kev Sylvester on Twitter. Heading into the FedEx Cup, what's the biggest surprise for you, Kev? Because for me... I'll give you mine, and maybe you agree, or maybe you've got something else you're thinking about, but Sergio Garcia has qualified for every FedEx Cup playoff since the inception of the FedEx Cup playoffs. He wins the Masters in 2017, has a decent finish in 2017 to the season, wins uh, over uh, on the other side of the world late in the calendar year 2017. Everybody anticipates big things for Sergio, now playing with house money, and he's in the witness protection program. He goes missing in action and misses the playoffs this year. Is he the biggest surprise, or is there something else I'm missing? No, I think you're spot on. I mean, Sergio... Not being in it is just stunningly remarkable that uh, he just he didn't make it. Like, what are you talking about? This guy was on top of the world uh, just a year ago, and you know, not you know, good for him that you know he's got all these exemptions, so there's no worry about him keeping his PJ Tour card. But it just seems unfathomable that Sergio really wasn't a factor in any of the majors this year, missed cuts, and is not going to be in the playoffs. You know, it was a big year off the course for him with the birth of his daughter. So I guess, you know, when you look at things in perspective, uh, that means a whole lot more to him. And it'll be a great comeback story for him next year once he figures the putter out. I mean, when he changed putters this year, you knew, you know, that's the issue. And that's always the issue with these guys for the most part, right? I mean, they can't put the ball in the hole with a flat stick. They are going to struggle. And I guess along those notes, it has been a long year, and we've got guys with multiple wins. We've got guys with three-win seasons. And often you see in the FedEx Cup, it comes down to occasionally who has anything left in the tank. You know, Rory, a disappointing year for Rory. He saved it a couple of years ago with a big FedEx Cup playoff run and a win. Who, in your mind, needs a big finish, and who do you think is going to give us one, Kev? Well, I think um, one you mentioned, Rory, right? I mean, he had some fabulous rounds and then really unable to finish. He he finished at the Arnold Palmer, and that was it. I I think Phil needs a big uh, finish here. Phil Mickelson. Now, I have already have him locked in as a captain's pick for the Ryder Cup. Uh, You know, it's one of the things you talk about a lot here in the States. Uh, Who's going to be in Tiger or Phil? I've said both kind of a a last hurrah for Phil. I agree. I I I think he's got to play well. In the playoffs, I think it's it's got to happen for him. And, you know, one other guy I'll look at, we just say, well, he doesn't really have to show well, but I think we've heard enough of him the second half of the year has been John Rahm. And I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's worked a lot on getting his emotion under control. And he's super young, super talented. You know, there's a guy that I'd look to see do something here in the playoffs. And talk about, you want to talk about Ryder Cup implications. You know, you want to see Rom do something in the playoffs, as do I. I know the European Ryder Cup wants him to do something, but boy, they had Sergio and Rom penciled in to play together in Paris. And now you got to wonder, you know, is Sergio even on that European Ryder Cup team? Who knows? Has he done enough to deserve to be there? I 
don't know, or is Sergio their version of Phil? And you'll just get the nod because of what he's done before in the past. And that's always a scary pick. Kev, I want to switch gears with you here before we let you go and we wind down because you are from Buffalo Sports Page. You've had your finger on the pulse of everything Buffalo Sports for many years. You, a former voice of the Sabres. I know you were uh, all over the Buffalo Bills as well. AJ goes down. Is this Josh Allen's job now, week one? I got to think he's under snap. Is he not under center for week one for the Bills? He's taking first snaps this morning in practice for the Bills, for the first team. So I think that tells you everything because they're going into week three preseason. That with Sean McDermott, I'll use his words. He says it's rehearsal week uh, for the regular season. He earned the start this coming Sunday in their preseason game. Uh, He deserves to get a chance with the, the first unit to see what he can do. It was just a different pace Friday night, right? McCarran's out there, and it just looks slow, methodical, nothing happened. And then Allen comes in, and it's just like, boom, right? I mean, you just it was like a lightning. It's like Thor was a quarterback throwing lightning bolts, <laughs> right? I mean, it was it was just incredible. But he, but more importantly, he looked comfortable. He looked in command. He looked like he knew what he was uh, doing. So uh, I think for that reason, he's going to get the crack to do it. If he plays well on Sunday then I don't think he can deny him being the starting quarterback in uh, week one. Uh, Peterman's like the insurance blanket. Not a great one, in my opinion, but he'll play the same style of offense, play the, uh, the same pace here. Frankly, the injury to McCarron, I, I, I thought maybe saved him from being cut like T.J. Yates was last year by the Bills, a veteran quarterback they brought in to compete, and he didn't do well in the preseason, so they got rid of him. I mean, McCarron did nothing to me, they say, hey, let's keep three quarterbacks around. And not a bad uh, situation for a rookie quarterback to come into either because if some of that young talent pans out, which uh, they're pointing at saying it will, man, you know, you might only need to score between 11 and 15 points a game to actually win with that Buffalo defense. So it, not a bad situation, is it? Well, it's not. I, I think they're, I think, you know, I'll be honest here. I think they were surprised they made the playoffs last year. I don't think they plan on doing it. I think that's why they traded Watkins and Marcel Darius. They figured it was a rebuilding year, and then they caught a little lightning in the bottle. I think they're going to struggle this year. Um, I, I don't see them as a playoff team. I think if they win six games, that'll be an accomplishment. Their offensive line is going to struggle. And frankly, defensively, I thought the Browns ran, ran on them, their first unit, uh, pretty easily. And with Kyle Williams going down with injury, I, I think the defensive line, I, I think they need some upgrades there, particularly defensive end, if they're going to do anything. So. Uh, it could be a, a tough year for the Bills, but I'd be happy to be wrong like I was last year. <laughs> All right, Kev, we'll save Sabres for another time, brother, and enjoy the FedEx Cup playoffs, and uh, let's hope. Who knows? Maybe we get a Tiger win before we uh, could imagine. Maybe we get one in the playoffs. This is the last time they play at TPC Boston, as next year, you know, we're only going to three playoff events. So maybe Tiger, you know, he's won at TPC Boston before. Maybe he gets the last one and ends this conversation uh, early. So, uh, one can well, only benefits hope, his right? foundation, Mark. So it benefits That's... his foundation up there. So uh, yeah, it'd be fitting for him to win. Kev, have a great week. Thanks for taking the time. You too, my friend. Anytime. Kevin Sylvester, T to Green Golf, Buffalo Sports Page, my colleague on the PGA Tour Radio Play by Play team. Follow him on Twitter at Kev Sylvester. Again, that's at Kev Sylvester. As we wind up hour one here of 
Toronto today. In hour two, we're going to do a special edition of Winners Weird and What. It's our Good, the Bad, and the Ugly from Golf Talk Canada that we do every Saturday morning on radio and every Wednesday on TSN television. We're going to do a non-golf version of Winners Weird and What here, a Toronto Today version with Joe Narsa, our producer. We'll see what he's come up with from the weekend in sports or from the week that was his good, his good, his bad, his ugly, his Winners Weird and What. We'll do that. We'll get you caught up on our Twitter poll. Do you need contact in the NHL the way you need body contact in the NFL? Is it part of the fabric of the sport to the same degree where you need it to still love hockey the way you need it in football? We're getting some mixed reviews. Our last check, 74% said they need it. 26% say they don't need it. But I think there's a line in between. We'll talk a little bit about that. And Jim Taddy, host of Maple Leaf Hockey on TSN 1050 and the Drive Home Show on TSN 1150 in Hamilton. He'll join us to talk everything Leafs in Hour 2. This is Toronto Today.